Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Cynthia Connolly, Director of Programming here and proud member. You're here for a virtual City Club Forum, Global Problem, Local Solution, Ohio City's leading on climate action. Over the last year, we've partnered with the Cleveland Foundation and the George Gund Foundation to bring you a three-part series on changing climate. While much of the responsibility for combating the effects of climate change are being negotiated on the world stage, many of the most actionable solutions are right here, small and local. In May, we talked about solutions at the neighborhood and household level. In August, we discussed the Ohio Climate Justice Fund and heard about a better way to center underrepresented voices through community listening and action. If you missed these two past two forums, you can check them out in our archives at cityclub.org. Today's forum is the last of these three forums, and we are focusing on municipal efforts to address climate change. According to C40, a collaboration of 97 great cities of the world, we learned that cities occupy only 2% of the world's land masses, but con consume two-thirds of the world's energy and produce 70% of global CO2 emissions. It would naturally seem that if one wanted to tackle climate change, our world cities would be a good place to start. So... What is happening here in Ohio? Many local leaders are seeing clean energy and climate opportunities and they're taking action. They're showing what's possible through comprehensive climate action plans that deliver measurable results. Can the global climate ch challenge be solved city by city? To answer this, we are joined by the Honorable John J. Cranley, Mayor of the City of Cincinnati, Erica C. Crowley, the County Commissioner of Franklin County, and the Honorable William D. Franklin, Mayor of Warren, Ohio. Guiding this conversation today is Taylor Haggerty, a reporter at IdeaStream Public Media. Thank you all for joining us here at the City Club today. And Taylor, I now turn the forum over to you. Great. Thanks, Cynthia. And thank you to the City Club for hosting the forum. While I've been covering Northeast Ohio, I've seen a lot of cities have these conversations about what sustainable options are there for developing different solar panels or getting rid of dams or all those kinds of things we're going to be talking about today. So I'm excited to see where the discussion goes and let's get started. Um, I wanted to start with uh, Mayor Franklin of Warren. We've heard a little bit about dam removal here in Cleveland as different neighborhoods have discussed what to do to keep the river clean. Uh, what, what's been going on in Warren? What kind of efforts have you gone through in order to improve the cleanliness of the water? Thank you, Taylor. Can you all hear me? Mm -hmm. Can you hear me? I, yep. Okay, great, great. I wasn't sure. Uh, yeah, we've been um, collaborating with some of our surrounding communities to do some uh, low head dam removal. Uh, that project started uh, early in my tenure as mayor, and it's a collaborative between uh, seven communities, and we're removing low head dams from uh, nine from nine nine dams from those communities. Uh, they all run along the 422 corridor. Uh, and it fueled our economy. Uh, that river was basically used for, for decades to full fuel our economy in the steel making uh, process and manufacturing of steel. Uh, what had happened though during that process is uh, it contaminated the river to, to, to extreme heights. The average temperatures uh, during the height of the steel making process was somewhere around 102 degrees. So you can imagine what happened to the wildlife and all the recreational activities um, that, that, that suffered it and were, were really um, a detriment to any other type of um, use of that river. 
Um, so fast forward to where we are today, most of those jobs have gone. The steel making, uh, the steel production jobs uh, that fueled our economy have since left our communities, uh, all of those communities in this collaborative. Uh, but as, as nature would have it, the river is actually cleaning itself up. Um, so we want to take advantage of that natural resource. So we all got together and put together a plan through the Eastgate Council of Governments that allowed us to uh, seek funding successfully uh, to remove some of these low head, these low head dams for our community. That's doing two things. First and foremost, it's supporting our environment. Uh, it's cleaning up the river and it's providing economic development opportunities through recreation and also bringing, bringing that river, that natural resource closer to the communities that were more detrimentally affected by it. Um, I have a personal, um, it's sort of a personal interest uh, in this because when I was growing up in Warren, Ohio, um, unfortunately, my family lived close to one of those steel mills. Uh, my father died in 2004 from lung cancer and there's statistics all, all across uh, the spectrum that shows how communities of color and underserved communities, uh, poor people in general, uh, suffered from, from the placement, their zip codes, because they're always close to these toxic environments. Um, and so it, it, I have a personal uh, interest in cleaning up that river and making sure that uh, future generations doesn't suffer from, the, from, from that detriment. Uh, we know how often water is often overlooked and how we um, view its effect on the climate. And, and I think that's a huge mistake and we're going to correct that. Uh, we, all can, we all know what's happening with algae bloom uh, in the Great Lakes. Uh, this infrastructure bill that's, that's pending uh, from, from Washington will be a great, a great benefit to all of our communities in addressing some of these disparities. Um, so I, I look forward to uh, them passing that bill so that we can continue to do some of the other initiatives, but that, which I'll be able to talk about later. But thank you, Taylor, for letting me share that. Yeah, uh, thank you for sharing. And uh, Commissioner Crowley, you have some background in health equity and disparities, particularly uh, maternal and infant mortality. I'm wondering if you can touch a little bit on how environment fits into that and what some of the concerns are as we're looking at the state of things in Ohio. Absolutely. Thank you, Taylor, for the question. Thank you to City Club and um, Power a Clean Future Ohio, as well as Ohio Environmental Council um, for inviting me here today. Um, I am coming from the legislature a little over three months ago and now Franklin County Commissioner and have been very outspoken around um, climate justice, environmental justice, and how it is inter interconnected with um, racial justice. And so um, just from, you know, a, a local or and how it impacts and, and why I was uh, trying to champion this issue at the state level is because, you know, quite naturally, we think about climate change as a global issue. Um, and, and, and it's, you know, big and, and massive, but we are able to address it at a, a local level, if not from a state level. And we see, and I saw firsthand in the legislature of how um, there wasn't a willingness to do it. And as I would talk with my colleagues, um, I did have some legislation that was called um, health equity in all policies. So whatever we are doing um, in the legislature, we have to be looking at from a health equity standpoint, whether it's, um, you know, from educating our, our children or building new schools or looking at infrastructure and talking with 
um, the Ohio Department of Transportation and what that looks like. How does this have a health impact um, on our community? Is it a positive, negative, or neutral impact? Because we know that over time, um, and generations have seen where we will build roads and bridges right through um, a community. Um, majority marginalized black and brown communities. And so it was important for me to continue to raise a health equity um, lens with everything that we do. Um, and also because how we talk about climate change um, or how the environment is changing. And we usually hear folks talk about it from a perspective of it's a great equalizer. And I wanted to dispel that notion and I wanna do that today. We know as climate change, increases um, and things continue to warm up, it will not impact us all the same way. It does not impact us all the same way. Vulnerable, vulnerable communities are at a greater risk. Um, acting on climate change immediately and with urgency is an environmental justice issue. It's a racial justice issue and it's an economic justice issue. And as I said before, communities of color are disproportionately victimized by environmental hazards and are for, far more likely to live in areas with heavy population um, and they're more likely to have to die due to environmental causes like asthma. Um, and more than half of the people who live close to hazardous waste are people of color. Um, and so when we think of an issue of environmental protection and how this impacts social determinants, um, climate action intersects with all of these things, whether we're talking about housing, whether we're talking about education, whether we're talking about transportation, um, these things are all interconnected and we have to look at climate change and environmental um, change from that perspective. Yeah, and Mayor Cranley, when it comes to infrastructure shifts and taking immediate action, Cincinnati is working on, as I understand it, a pretty sizable solar array, a massive farm of solar panels to kind of shift what sort of energy the city is using. Um, what is that process like? How do you get people on board with it? How is it changing the conversation in the city regarding environmental sustainability? Thanks. Uh, it's great to be with you, Taylor. And it's also good to be with my friends, uh, Commissioner Crowley and uh, Mayor Franklin, who are doing tremendous work in their communities on these issues. Yes, I'm very proud to say that we are building right now the largest municipal solar farm in America ever built. I do believe Columbus and Franklin County are working one that may be even bigger, uh, which is awesome. Uh, but ours will be operational this calendar year in the next couple of months. Um, it is the size of 750 football fields and includes 330,000 individual solar panels. Uh, right now we have 100 and about 130 uh, electricians working on it. We make $60,000 uh, for this project each. We have a public-private partnership in order to take advantage of federal tax credits and our the, develop, the, the developer we selected from an RFP process is an African-American-owned business. And we brought jobs to rural small town Ohio that has been depressed. The farmers who uh, leased and or sold us our land thanked us because we saved the family farm. Uh, they were not making money in the, in the business that they were in. Um, I will say, because I, I do want to talk about this later, but just mentioned now, we can talk about it more later, but after we started our project, the state of Ohio passed a law on a party line vote 
uh, to allow government to tell farmers that they cannot sell or lease their land to wind or solar, which I thought was the opposite of what the party of capitalism and private property rights, or at least what they claim they are, uh, believes in. Uh, I happen to believe farmers should be able to make money and farmers should be able to do wind and solar. And our farmers are happier and doing better as a result of our project. But backing up a minute, I agree with my colleagues that this is a moral issue, um, but it is also an economic issue. What I committed when uh, Donald Trump pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord uh, five years ago, I made a pledge on TV that we would do something about it. In retrospect, I regret that it took Trump's action for me to pursue the solar panel project, but nonetheless, it is a great reminder that we don't need to wait for the federal government to act. That in fact, the amount of physical plant and energy that governments consume at the state and local level is far in excess of what the federal government can do or require us to do. Similarly, the private sector can act with or without support from the federal government. And increasingly, we're seeing that happening here in Cincinnati and around the country. So I'm very optimistic about what's happening at the state, local, and in the private sector. Now, it took us years to go from this commitment to breaking ground. And I would very much encourage other communities to borrow from what we did so they don't have to go through the brain damage that we did. But maybe, let me make one point now, and that is that we are literally saving money on our solar farm. Meaning, <clears throat> by diversifying our uh, energy sources, and we're still using plenty of traditional sources for the for the electricity use of our entire citizenry, which we're aggregating together. Um, the solar piece of it, which is about 20% of the total, um, is cheaper than what we were paying before. There is, a, I think, a very widespread belief that to do uh, clean energy would require paying a premium or paying up over the market rates. And at some level that could be true, but that is too often used as an excuse to do nothing. Um, and reality is if you do the homework, you can, every major institution uh, like Franklin County or Columbus, Warren may have to partner with other communities and get into a buy-in consortium. But once you get to a certain size, you can in fact save money. And so not only is it a moral imperative to reduce uh, carbon emissions, it's, I think, a, a taxpayer issue uh, to make sure that people get better rates uh, for electricity, cheaper rates, as people are struggling to pay their bills. Um, and so I, I really want to disabuse people of the idea that they have to pay up for this. They, they can and should uh, diversify up to 20% of consumption to renewable sources and save money in the process. And then after that, you can debate whether or not you should go ahead and pay a premium to do more. But no one, very few people are actually doing the 20%, which is saving money. And so I, I, I implore people listening to lobby their state, local governments and businesses and nonprofits to join buying consortiums and do what we've done uh, to add clean energy to the grid and save money in the process. Yeah, and Mayor Franklin, I see you nodding. I know you mentioned that removing the dams is part of not necessarily a consortium, but a partnership between a variety of cities to get that done. What is the importance? How does it help to kind of work together with other cities? And how do you go about that, getting other people on board? 
Well, obviously you can you can leverage. We we found through experience that we're much more successful uh, working as a collaborative uh, when it comes to seeking funding. Uh, so we use that approach to our, to our success uh, locally here, and we've been able to secure fun, funding to remove all of those dams. But but more so than that, it gives us an opportunity to to sort of um, sort of centralize our message to the whole region. Uh, and, and it's a powerful message and it brings more attention more quickly uh, to the environmental justice issues, to the fact that we have this beautiful natural resource that's that's been abused uh, to fuel our economy and it's not paying us back. So we want to just reverse that. And when you have all of these community leaders on the local level singing out of the same hymn book, uh, the message is much stronger and the music is much sweeter. So that, that's our approach and, and, it, and it tends to work. Um, We've, we've been fortunate, and, and I, I really applaud um, Commissioner Crowley and, and Mayor Cranley for, for their efforts. We've been enforcing the other consortium is Power of Clean Future for Ohio. Uh, and I believe Mayor Cranley was the first uh, city to join that um, consortium, and we were the, the latest to join it. Um, but we always exchange notes. We always work together. We, you know, we take, we take, you know, there's a saying, and, and I hope no one takes me wrong for this but they say good mayors um good mayors borrow great mayors steal uh, <laughs> so we will take any we will take any um we, we will take any program that that proves to be beneficial to our communities and to our citizens so that we're optimizing uh, the effect on, on their lives and, and making it a better life and Commissioner Crowley, I wanted to give you an opportunity here too. coming from the state perspective and the county perspective, obviously not necessarily an individual city effort to get something done. But how do things shift as you move up to county level and up to state level in terms of making these things happen? Absolutely. Um, so I, I know I'm going to mention a piece of legislation that will um, not be a surprise to anyone. Uh, well, two pieces of legislation, um, House Bill 6 um, and Senate Bill 52. So House Bill 6, um, you know, got rid of, um, continued to invest in coal, uh, got rid of and rolled back a lot of our renewables and our energy uh, standards. And then Senate Bill 52, which um, I did not vote on, um, I had to abstain because I had already received the appointment to come down to the county and I knew that it might come up. Uh, and so Senate Bill 50, 52 enables um, counties to set up restricted areas within their unincorporated boundaries um, where wind and solar projects um, greater than 50 megawatts would be prohibited. Well, um, here in Franklin County, what we did before that legislation passed, um, which is when you see things taking place that kind of um, tie the hands of those at the local level, um, you know, you get to acting. And this is why I'm excited about being at the local level, being able to do stuff, because um, Franklin County had already uh, made itself an alternative energy zone. Um, and before the legislation went into effect. And we'll, we see just last week in the dispatch where Delaware County is working to support that measure to make sure that there can be no solar or wind projects within the whole county. So to what Mayor Cranley was saying earlier, really restricting um, property owners to be able to make decisions about their own property, their livelihood, their, their investments, um, and able to um, build wild 
And so here in Franklin County, we do have a solar project. It's called the Pleasant Prairie Solar Energy Project, um, which is a 250 megawatt solar power electric generation facility. Um, and it is in Pleasant and Prairie Townships here in Franklin County. And when we think about collaborations, um, so it is Franklin County, um, our economic development and planning um, department who is working with our uh, township trustees. We're also working with an outside um, consultant and working with the property owners. Um, it is really a collaboration. And one thing that this project will be able to do is provide 800 jobs. So when we even talk about um, you know, climate change and, and what we can do to mitigate uh, the uh, negative um, impacts of it, we rarely talk about the jobs that can be created. And that was a thing that was talked about with House Bill 6. The argument was, hey, we need to continue to do this and invest in coal because it's going to keep these jobs. Well, usually the same jobs that um, are, are being done by the same people in coal can be on wind turbines and work in solar um, as well. And so this will provide 800 jobs. It um, will also provide roughly um, uh, $1.1 million to Southwestern City Schools. And they are excited about that. We know that education hasn't been funded. And, and we also know the generation that um, the energy generation that will be um, created because of that solar, um, that solar project. And so uh, there will be over the course of time, $4.4 million um, in investments to Franklin County to property payment, uh, payments to property owners. Um, and I can go on about this. We are very excited about this project. It is one of um, a few that will come here shortly. And we'll, we'll talk about those um, later on as those start to develop. But I think it, it it's where you get to see um, some of the efforts that are taking place at the state to limit um, energy production in a way that is clean, um, and then counties being able to um, really take ownership and do what's best in the interest of our neighbors, and it's what our neighbors want. Yeah, and Mayor Cranley, I saw you nodding through some of that. You'd mentioned that there were some some laws put in place or bills proposed that seem to work against your goals for putting in place these sustainable measures. How do you continue to innovate and come up with those options in the face of legislation that maybe doesn't work with what your goals are? Well, thanks. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, look, at, at, a bigger, at a bigger picture level, Ohio has been in decline <clears throat> economically and demographically. That's why we lose a congressional seat every 10 years. And the reality is that the people running Ohio, um, their policies have failed. Some of them are corrupt, like HB6, where they got indicted. Um, but it's not a coincidence that their corruption is also involved with backwards uh, energy and uh, economic policies. How can we expect Ohio to grow and get more jobs and build a middle class if the government can now tell farmers that they can't make money on their land with wind or solar? <clears throat> I mean, it's I mean, it's really awful. And not only is there a, a moral crisis around the environment. There's an economic crisis facing the state of Ohio, where a generation ago, Ohio had the biggest middle class in America. Uh, the state of Jesse Owens and uh, Neil Armstrong and, and, and Tony Morrison and John Glenn and Thomas Edison and the Wright brothers. Now, uh, we're seeing young people flee the state. We're seeing congressional districts leave. And the economic policy is for government to clamp down on people's ability to make money. 
uh, and invest in renewable energy. They are just wrong about everything. The short answer to your question is, um, you know, I'm running for governor. And so uh, we need a new set of leaders uh, that will, in fact, change the course of Ohio history to one of growth again. Uh, facts are facts. You know, Reagan famously said, are you better off today than you were when the other guy took over? Well, Ohio as a whole is worse off since these people have been running our state. Columbus and Franklin County is better off since people like Commissioner Crowley have been in place. Warren, Ohio is better off since Mayor Franklin's been in place. And Cincinnati is the only major city in Ohio to ever make a comeback in population from decline. And we grew twice as fast as the state of Ohio in the last 10 years, the first time since 1950 that we grew instead of decline. And so our leadership, which is embracing uh, energy, uh, clean energy, jobs, investment, giving farmers the right to make money. These are policies that are growing our communities, fixing up uh, the environment and building a better future that's also attractive to young people uh, around the country and for our young people to stay in Ohio. So fundamentally, we need change. Um, their policies are corrupt. And I mean that literally, they got indicted for HB6. Uh, the Trump administration indicted them for a RICO bribery scandal. But set aside the corruption for a minute, the policy was to repeal renewable portfolio standards, bail out a coal company in Indiana, uh, and hurt the industries like clean energy and natural gas, which is cleaner than, uh, than, than coal, um, which also has a job creation opportunity for Northeast Ohio, Eastern Ohio, Southeastern Ohio. And so the fundamental issue is that we're at a, a crossroads in my opinion about whether we're gonna grow and whether we're gonna em embrace the clean energy as a future way of creating jobs in a middle class. Today at the City Club, we're listening to a virtual forum talking to local leaders about how they are taking action to address climate change in their communities. In a few minutes, we'll turn to your questions. If you have questions for our panelists, text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club. We'll try to work them in. And so one last question before we move to the Q&A, and I want to make sure to get each of your responses to this. As we're looking at projects that you have undertaken or that you're planning for the future, what is something that you'd like to accomplish in your community that you haven't been able to? And what's standing in your way? Uh, Mayor Franklin, let's start with you. Yeah, first and foremost, I'd like to you know follow up on my remarks about uh, taking good ideas and running with them for the benefit of your own community. Uh, we're we're uh, planning to use a lot of our, you know, we were decimated by the loss of steel production. Uh, Delphi Packard, uh, when they filed for bankruptcy, it, it sort of decimated our tax base, but it also um, spurred a, a, a loss of population as well. So we have uh, some tracts of land that we we're working with other energy companies with uh, looking at proposals to uh, put solar arrays or solar farms on, on those so that we can uh, be more efficient, invest in, in the, the, the clean energy economy, and be responsible for uh, our citizens um, in terms of their own health, and also create jobs at the same time. Uh, we're also, luckily for us, we're, we're pretty uh, well-placed in terms of geography. Uh, right down the street from us is Lordstown Energy Center, 
which is a which is a natural gas powered um, company that just got online about four or five years ago. Uh, they they produce enough clean natural gas that's safe, efficient for about eight hundred and fifty thousand households. Um, there will be a follow up. Um, we're we're pretty close to a second deal for uh, Trimble Energy Center to mirror that. Uh, so we're doing doing all of those things. Being a part of the coalition for power for clean future of Ohio, um, we're, we're also engaged with um, some of those so that we can do electric vehicle charging stations. Uh, we've made a commitment to change our policy so that we're uh, in line with the goals of that organization to reduce our carbon footprint uh, by 30 percent uh, by the year 2030. Uh, so we're, we're laying the groundwork work for that to happen. I, I just fundamentally believe we can take care of our environment uh, and be responsible from a public health standpoint and also save money and create jobs at the same time. Uh, and that, that's where our focus is at this time. Uh, Commissioner Crowley. Thank you so much for the question. So I can just talk about what our local efforts are currently. And I, I can also be honest about where we need to go. And if you just um, indulge me and let me talk about a few of those um, really quickly. Um, so one of our core principles um, for the Franklin County Board of Commissioners, and I have the pleasure of serving with Commissioner John O'Grady, who's been at the board 12 and a half years and um, board president, Commissioner Boyce, who has been here since 2017. And so one of our core principles are good stewardship of natural resources, environmental sustainability, and civic engagement. And so some of those goals and principles include providing safe and safe water and effective sewer systems, promote responsible and sustainable sewer stewardship of natural resources. Um, we improve and expand community green spaces um, like parks and, and rec facilities and uh, promote community planning, zone enforcement and building code enforcement. Um, we had a resolution May 25th of 2021 where we um, decided to become an alternative energy zone um, that I talked about earlier. We received a Soul Smart Bronze designation for encouraging solar energy. Uh, we support uh, uh, MORPC's uh, Sustainable 2050. So MORPC is the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, um, and that's a recognition um, and a technical assistance program that supports MORPC and their members um, in their sustainability efforts. Um, and it is directly tied to the goals and objectives of the regional sustainability agenda. And for that, Franklin County is a platinum member, which is the highest standard in sustainable 2050 program, which educates and assists um, communities who want to be greener. Um, and so we have another uh, a number of things. We're working with SWACO, which is our solid waste authority in Central Ohio to reduce um, the methane gas there. Um, they have a number of innovative ideas and we'll be rolling out some of those here um, shortly from my office. Um, and then we have our economic development and planning uh, department, which uh, we have an energies, energy works program, uh, which is an ongoing partnership with the Columbus Franklin County Finance Authority to capitalize on um, the energy fund, which provides loan financing to Franklin County businesses and nonprofits for cost effective energy efficiency improvements. Um, our PFM, our public facilities management, we every building is trying to move to a LEED uh, certification, so we have that. But one of the places that we can do better is um, 
look at how Franklin County as a whole is co co contributing to climate change um, and, and moving to um, a greener space for everyone. Um, we are talking to our governmental partners and all of our municipalities that are under Franklin County's jurisdiction, but also working with the private sector because it will take all of us to work together. Um, our solutions have to um, be based in um, equity. And so we have our Rise Together Blueprint, which is a poverty blueprint, but it talks about environmental challenges, especially for the most marginalized. It's important that the people who are most affected, as I always say, those who are closest to the problem are closest to the solution. They should be at the table as we come together to have um, energy policy and what that looks like. Um, so when we look at building more affordable housing, should we should look at ways to build them in a greener way in these areas where we see a lot of gentrification that is taking place. Um, and we have to protect um, and, and, and move forward and, and be innovative in job creation, especially in this area. Um, as I talked about earlier, when we talk about renewables or solar or wind turbines and, and um, renewable energy, those are job creators. Um, it doesn't have to be in coal and, and, and in that industry. We can move to a place where um, people aren't losing jobs, but we are creating more. And so that's what some of the things that Franklin County is doing. We're looking at how do we, are we a convener? Do we create our own policies ourselves and work with other collaborators? Um, and how can we be a leader in this space? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know if we've lost Mayor Cranley. Oh, there he is. Hello. Hello. Uh, Mayor Cranley, uh, your response? Look, there are many things that we're trying to do that we haven't always been able to do. We spent years trying to figure out how to use natural gas for our fleet uh, cars, but uh, because in, in winter a certain gas is put into our pipes, it couldn't mix with the gas that we would need for the cars and for our fleet. And so that's an ongoing issue. However, we have moved forward with uh, purchasing a number of electric vehicles for our, our, our fleet. And so that is moving along, um, but not as fast as, as, as I had wished. Yeah, of course. We do have the first audience question here. This is from Mayor Franklin. Uh, we've got someone who would like to hear you talk about the struggle to provide fixed route bus service in Warren, given public transit's importance in addressing climate change uh, and some of the difficulties in providing it within your county. Yeah, um, uh, thank you. Thanks for that question. Um, yeah, that's been a, a, a real sore spot for me, uh, the fact that we weren't able to come from, from a county standpoint to an agreement or at least to put on the ballot initiative to uh, expand fixed route busing um, throughout throughout the region for Mahoning and Trumbull counties. Uh, it was a regional plan, which I always support, and they always have the best opportunities to get federal and state funding. Um, our local commissioners failed to put that on the ballot, so we missed. I think we missed a great opportunity. However, I'm not giving up the fight. If anyone knows me, I never will. Uh, but you, you tie that into you know public transportation uh, and the environment are, are are linked so and the economy are so intertwined that you can't think of one without the other. Uh, I failed to mention in in my previous comments that right down when I talked about the Lordstown Energy Center. Um, in that same community, that same village, uh, Ultium Sales is is pretty much getting ready to start up with a battery plant at the old GM Lordstown assembly site, um, and and also Lordstown Motors, which which is planning to produce 
uh, electric trucks and they, and they have the, the, the prototype model already ready. There's, they're not off the ground yet, but they've been, um, there's been some a takeover or, or I should say a, a buyout from another company who can probably accelerate that faster. But my point is there'll be uh, approximately three to 4,000 new jobs right down the street from this community. One of those plans with that bus, bus, excuse me, that fixed bus route system, the public transportation system that we missed, we could get those people who are underserved, might not have transportation out to those new clean energy jobs. Uh, and they don't have, a, have to drive a car to get there with, with a transportation system in place. Ironically, one of the companies, uh, Foxconn, um, I was just reading it, reading a few days ago, they plan to build electric public transportation vehicles. So um, I'm going to still uh, fight that fight because it's the right fight. It's the good fight. Um, but, but we have to take advantage of these opportunities. So I really appreciate that question. Um, it allows me to vent once again uh, something that's been bugging me for about six or seven months so I can take it to a wider audience. Um, but we have to take advantage of these opportunities. We have to get the, the, those, those who are unemployed uh, out to these, they have to get to these clean energy jobs. Um, employers always want to know, uh, how's your workforce going to get to the jobs? Well, we have a plan, but we have to execute that plan. Yeah, and speaking of electric vehicles, the next question that we've gotten is, installing at-home chargers for electric vehicles can be cost prohibitive for families, especially those without attached garages or living in older houses, uh, which happens in a lot of cities. It's certainly here in Cleveland, that's an issue. So is there anything cities can do to subsidize the cost of those chargers at homes or to provide more incentives to make electric vehicle ownership more practical for city families? Um, I don't, I mean, Mayor Cranley or Mayor Franklin, either of you would probably be able to speak to this in some regard. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm for an all of the above solution uh, to think through these issues. I, I am personally inspired by the, the, the price of coming down um, of electric vehicles. You know, I have a Tesla, but it's no more expensive than a American sedan. You can buy, you know, very expensive Teslas uh, but that's not what I bought. I bought the the cheapest version available, and it's still very cool, and it's priced like any other, you know, sedan you can buy. Uh, and it's an American, you know, obviously an American company, which is exciting. So uh, I think the prices are coming down dramatically, um, and that will help also with 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 electric charge ups. I know we're trying to find ways to put more electric charging stations throughout the city that would be accessible to the public. And I'm certainly open to ideas on how to help uh, individual homeowners or, re or renters, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Taylor, um, and, and I think Commissioner Crowley might have wanted to weigh in, but I, I, I just, I'd just like to tie that into, because I don't think we know what that answer is quite at this moment. However, um, with, the, with the bipartisan infrastructure bill, I think we might have the opportunity to, to explore that uh, in a way that provides the funding to, to do these projects as well. Um, it's, it's going to be huge because it allows you to do EV charging stations. I don't know about in households, but you, obviously um, they're, they're projecting that 40%, there'll be a changeover of 40% of, of, of vehicles from gas powered to electric powered uh, in the next few decades. So we need to be thinking about this thing, but we also need to have funding in place. That 
um, the, the infrastructure bill uh, that's pending in, in Washington, it gives us a, a, an opportunity to build a foundation for what's coming down the road. So I think that's important. We all have to be mindful uh, and, and stay 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 true to lobbying uh, for that for that bill to be passed and, and to be actually distributed to our local communities. Commissioner Crowley. Yeah, I was just going to add, I mean, uh, Mayor Franklin uh, did mention some of the things that I was going to say, like there isn't um, uh, an answer. And I think as uh, Biden's climate plan or the Build Back Better plan um, is passed, we can have more conversations about what that looks like, how we support families who may want to go and have, get an electric vehicle. Um, I can say at the state level, which continues to be an ongoing issue and i think it first started last general assembly as we were navigating the operating budget it came up again this this year as i was navigating um as ranking member on finance and dealing with the operating budget um a push to reduce the registration fees for those who do have um electric vehicles so as much as we want to make it affordable um so the everyday person can have access and, and then be able to have charging stations and all of that and that they're around our community, we have to be realistic that we don't want to create another barrier by having high registration fees um, for those who decide to go ahead and, you know, go that route, um, which we do know. And I heard very um, from advocates on both sides of the aisle on where they stand on this, but I also heard feedback from consumers um, who will then see this as a barrier. So I just wanted to add that. Yeah, uh, another question from a listener. Have there been conversations with power providers about modernizing Ohio's aging electric grid? Uh, Commissioner Crowley, we can start with you on this one. So it's interesting because I was, I was um, seeking this appointment. This came up a lot. Um, and so I've not in my current role have, have had an opportunity um, to really engage in um, what it looks like to make changes to our power grid, um, especially here in Franklin County um, in some of the unserved uh, and underserved areas um, where we have a lot of black and brown people, we have experienced a number of outages um, that tend to last longer. Um, and so that that is a conversation that I'm open to having um, and we'll put it on my agenda as I um, work with economic development and planning and Morty and, and others um, in my 100 days because I've only been here 100 days. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then in terms of modernizing the electric grid and power, the shift to solar energy in Cincinnati obviously is going to modernize some things, but is it equipped to handle that transition? Do you need to upgrade things? What are some of the loose ends there? You know, I think at, at a big picture level, our national grid and our state grid needs a complete revamping. You know, in Ohio, uh, we have a legislature that has raised people's monthly energy bills, people who are struggling to live hand to mouth, to bail out a coal plant in Indiana, repeal renewable energy standards in Ohio and hurt the natural gas industry all at the same time. It's very hard to do all those things at once, but they did it. Um, we need a consumer focus and we need a modernization focus. And we need to make sure that clean energy is part, a big part of the solution uh, going forward. I mean, the fact that, you know, the, the state appointments, which come from the governor, um, 
uh, turned down and basically killed the wind project in Cleveland. The fact that they pass a law that stops farmers from being able to do wind or solar. We have folks who want to keep us in the past. And ultimately, we need uh, multiple sources of energy, all of the above solution uh, to our grid. And we need to upgrade our, upgrade our grid. And we can upgrade our grid um, if we're smart about it. And, um, and the more it's supply and demand, the more supply we have of clean energy, natural gas, et cetera, uh, wind, solar, the cheaper the prices are going to be for people struggling to pay their bills. And so I would say, um, of course, our grid needs to be upgraded. I think the national infrastructure bill will help. But even if it passes, Ohio needs new policies and new leadership to promote economic growth and investment in clean energy. Instead, right now, what we have is um, policies that say uh, that we have to stay stuck in the past. Yeah, and that ties into another listener question. We do have someone asking, what would you suggest Cleveland and Cuyahoga County do to move forward with the icebreaker wind project, the wind power project that was originally supposed to happen in Lake Erie? Any any suggestions given the work that you've done to kind of implement those different alternative energy options in Cincinnati? Yeah, I mean, it's about power. I mean, the fact is that the power siting board is appointed by the current governor and his cronies and he needs a change or we need change. And so uh, the fact of the matter is that we have this group that runs our state that was indicted by Trump FBI as the most corrupt in the history of the state, the most corrupt bill in the history of the state, all of which was to hurt renewable energy and the natural gas industry in favor of a coal plant in Indiana. And so I view this all as a pattern, just like they are telling no to wind in Cleveland. They're saying no to farmers who want to do solar. All of it is to uh, economically benefit uh, the industries that had, uh, according to the FBI and according to First Energy, who pled guilty to bribing uh, DeWine uh, appointed officials. Uh, they're doing exactly what they were asked to do by the people bribing them. Uh, allegedly, according to the FBI. And so, um, I mean, this is embarrassing and it hurts our state's future. So we need different people or we need the people in power to have a conversion, if you will, uh, to get away from corruption and, and in favor of a brighter and cleaner future for all of us. Yeah, and we we have another question here that focuses a little bit more on the micro level of maybe something that cities can still do in the face of all of that opposition. But recent reports are citing increases in home heating costs by as much as 50% this winter. How can cities support low-income home weatherization programs, which will help keep those heating bills down and also make homes more efficient? Uh, Mayor Franklin, I'm wondering if you have anything to add to this. Yes, uh, and thanks for that question. Um, I, I would first and foremost say what we have done, and it, it happened some years ago, we became an aggregate community uh, where, where uh, it allows us to, um, and our residents to shop for better rates and not to be locked in, not to be monopolized by the industry. Uh, and that's proven very well for us. We also use it as a city government as well. Uh, we, we exercise all of those options. The challenge is always communicating uh, those options in that program to uh, general residents who don't have the time or the luxury of, of, of Dell or, you know, or just the, 
just the, the stamina to delve into all of these different options. So we have to make those uh, options more easily available and understandable for the average citizen. Those are some of the things we can do. What, what we're also trying to do is to promote uh, geothermal heating and cooling, not only for our city buildings, but for any new housing projects. And we can incentivize that through some incentive packages that we put together. So we're trying to do all of those things and looking at other ways um, that are out there that some of community, some other communities have done uh, to lower those energy costs for the, the residents. Uh, retrofitting, re retrofitting housing as they, uh, house, our housing stock as it exists, um, we can give, we can give uh, some discounts on permits uh, if it has an, an energy um, efficiency or a climate, a climate benefit. Uh, we can do those. We can do those through our engineering, building, and planning department. So we're looking at all of those options, Taylor. Yeah. And just a reminder for listeners, if you have questions for our panelists, be sure to text them to 330-541-5794. Again, that's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them to us at the City Club. Uh, we'll try to work them in. So yeah, uh, Mayor Cranley, I saw you nodding a little bit there. Do you have anything to add? Uh, just that we have provided millions in help uh, to weatherize homes. Um, it can make a huge difference for families living on fixed incomes uh, to reduce their monthly bills. And uh, it is it is definitely worth the investment. Yeah. And Commissioner Carl, you've touched a little bit on the impact that this has, particularly underserved communities and communities with higher populations of people of color. What are some of the difficulties and challenges in making sure that those people know what the options are and they, they can get the help they need? Absolutely. Um, a great question. Um, so one of the things that we um, are doing is uh, our job and family services, like our human services arm of Franklin County job and family services um, are aging, office on aging, as well as child support and, and others. We have like this mobile unit um, that is going out that provides all kinds of information, whether people are trying to sign up for benefits or need help. Um, and we are able, we are actually in the community park um, every day on the weekends if we have special requests to be able to provide information on, on where um, families can go to get assistance for like weatherization or we help them ourselves, especially for our aging population and those most vulnerable, whether it's pregnant moms um, and, and things like that. But I do want to say that we continue to have ARPA funding. The state has ARPA dollars as well as counties um, that help with utility bills um, and they help with heat um, and, and, and things like that. But I would encourage, and I did this at the, the state level and I will continue to talk about it at the, at the uh, local level, that we have to be working with our utility providers. We should not be disconnecting people's water or their gas, um, especially during a pandemic. Um, we know the impact of that. Um, and so I, just as much as it falls on government to, um, especially Franklin County, we are the largest safe, social safety net for our neighbors, um, but it also takes a, a commitment from our private partners to want to support families as well as we navigate this um, pandemic, as we navigate, um, you know, different uh, problems, whether it's water, keeping water on or being able to heat their homes. Um, and then especially for our aging, when it comes to weatherizing and they're living in older homes um, that have not been updated, their windows haven't been updated, the insulation hasn't been updated. Um, and, and so we want to work with our partners, but we continue to be on the ground in the community 
talking with our neighbors to let them know what is available and that they don't have to just deal and live in their current circumstances, that there's money available to help. Um, and we also work with our faith-based um, organizations, you know, to spread the word on resources that are available and we will continue to do that. Yeah. Uh, one more question from a listener. Uh, have there been any active efforts to rebuild the tree canopy in dense urban areas where climate change has led to heat domes in urban areas? Mayor Cranley, we'll start with you. Yes. In fact, we, uh, we've appropriated more dollars to increase our urban canopy and uh, have made an intentional focus on adding uh, trees, especially in areas without uh, much canopy. In fact, we even proposed using some of our federal funds. I think we had to amend that when it didn't qualify exactly, I think under the regulations, but it is so important. Um, you know, the reality is that trees take carbon out of the uh, environment. Uh, and so planting trees is a big part of the solution because we're gonna need to put carbon in the air to live our quality of life and keep the poverty reduction that we've seen around the world over the last generation. And these are good things. Now we just have to manage the carbon better and reduce the carbon footprint over time without jeopardizing the critical medical and food supplies that require energy to move. Um, and so I think it requires all this wonderful new investment in clean energy, wind, solar, batteries, et cetera, uh, but also the other half of the solution is to plant more trees. And we know that asthma goes down. We know that um, education levels go up uh, when kids are in an environment with uh, green. And too many uh, of our urban neighborhoods have too little uh, shade. And uh, Mayor Franklin, there's a renaturalization proposal for Warren as well that doesn't just include trees, but includes more natural plant life, other things to kind of revitalize the outdoors. What kind of impact does that have on the community? Uh, it's tremendous. And Mayor Cranley said it best. Uh, you know, we, we have to be mindful of the not only the urban canopy, uh, canopy but also of, of all of the other um, natural assets that, that God has given our communities. I, I really, um, we're looking at, we're working with the, the Nature Conservancy of Ohio to do a lot of the removal of our invasive species along the, the riverbanks. We also want to take that into our parks and, and into our neighborhoods as well. Um, so we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to have a three-pronged approach to, to how we address this. Um, planting trees is, is a simple, great way um, to provide that natural filter for, for our communities. And, and like I said, once again, uh, the communities I grew up were, were decimated by smog and, and, and the manufacturing of steel. We enjoy the benefits of the jobs, but the jobs are gone now and we're left with all of the um, aftermath of, of, of health disparities and everything else that comes with that. So we're, we're work, we have to work twice as fast to catch up and make sure that another generation doesn't suffer. But we're, we're doing that through naturalization of, of all of our communities, uh, but, but improving the urban canopy canopy is, is, is central uh, to that process. And, and we were, just as this made when we found out that that didn't qualify, but there, uh, through the ARPA fund, but, but I believe there is a way that we can, we can make that fit. I think we can make that, um, we can make that nexus between um, those communities that are facing disparities 
and how we can use these ARPA funds, which are supposed to be COVID related, to improve that disparity, even if it was done prior to COVID. So we're, we're going to be continuing to try to make that argument. Absolutely. And one more question before we wrap here. What do you say to those in your community who don't feel the need to invest in green energy? How do you convince them that those efforts are worth the money? And Commissioner Crowley, we'll start with you. Um, I think it's a great question um, because this comes up a lot in a lot of different areas. And I always say that all of our communities are inextricably linked. And whatever happens here in Franklin County has a direct or indirect um, impact on Warren or in Cincinnati. Um, there, especially when we're talking about um, the environment and climate change. So it is all of our responsibility um, to have to invest in green energy. It will benefit us all, it impacts us all. Um, and so I, I just wanna say one of the things that uh, we have been doing here in Franklin County when it comes to, um, you know, about the, um, the dense urban areas and tree canopies. One of the things that we have done um, in, in particular is work on stormwater management, um, building, uh, putting in trees whenever we have new um, housing developments and working with our Franklin uh, County Soil and Water Conservation. So it is something that we continue to um, talk about and, and, and we talk about urban ag and, um, and giving people access to it. So they feel like they have an investment too because it will take off of us. And Mayor Cranley? Look, I think it's a great question, but the premise is something we have to challenge because the premise is widely believed, but not accurate, which is that it costs money to invest in clean energy. It actually saves money. It doesn't cost money. It saves money. Now, let me be precise when I say that. I, I think as we learned in Cincinnati that we could save money if we did about 20% of our total aggregation in renewable. I'm not saying that it, we, we could save money if we did 100% of our energy at renewable because the battery technology is not, not there and the sun doesn't shine at night. But for major industrial users, whether it be corporate, nonprofit, government, business, um, you can negotiate and invest in clean energy and save money. And at some level, independent of whether you believe in global warming or not, whether you believe in climate change, doesn't really matter. Um, what matters is a fiduciary obligation to your shareholders, your company, or your bottom line that you, want, you don't wanna overpay. Um, and think about what this country would do if everyone reduced its carbon footprint by 20%. We, we're projecting that it continues to go up. If everyone reduces carbon footprint by 20%, all of a sudden things get better. And while I'm worried deeply for my son and for my someday to have grandkids, what will happen to our environment? I'm, and all the doomsday uh, predictions are about things getting worse and worse and worse. I also am optimistic enough to believe that things can get better. And if everyone reduces 20%, things will start to move in a better direction. And then the technology will improve and we'll do the next 20%. And then it'll improve again and we'll do the next 20%. And so um, I, I think that too much of the rhetoric and the science discussion is all based on the things have to keep getting worse. And if they do, obviously the outcome will be catastrophic. 
but I believe they can get better too. And I know Cincinnati has been leading the way and is reducing its carbon footprint dramatically. And um, and I challenge everyone else on this call to, to, to lobby the institutions you're a part of to do the same. Absolutely. Um, and then Mayor Franklin, if you wanted to add anything. Yeah, I, I, I wanna wrap it up by, by agreeing with both of my esteemed uh, guests today. Uh, Commissioner, Crowley, Commissioner Crowley said it best, we all have a responsibility in this. Um, we all can do something because it's it, we're all linked together as, in terms of how we treat Mother Earth. Uh, we'll get it back twofold if we do the right things by Mother Earth. Um, Mayor Crowley said it best as well. Uh, I think I think there's a, a huge cost in not investing, uh, and I think the cost is greater in neglecting uh, the opportunities and and the, the public health issues. Um, I know, Mayor. You know, we see in the West, we see droughts in the west in the east we see um excessive rainfall uh or these excessive rain events that are coming more frequently than anyone could have ever, ever predicted and we one thing we do know that it's linked to climate change so we all have a responsibility in this and we all need to do our part now i'll just end on this um, i don't have an electric car or a tesla yet mayor um however i did buy an electric uh lawnmower and we can all do some small we can all do something from a personal level uh to, to 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 do our part and i think we all have that obligation and thank you all for 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 having me here and this has been a great forum thank you so much uh taylor commissioner crawley mayor cranley and uh, mayor franklin uh Today we are at the City Club and have been listening to a forum on local climate action featuring uh, the Honorable John J. Cranley, Mayor of City of Cincinnati, Erica C. Crowley, County Commissioner of Franklin County, and the Honorable William D. Franklin, of Mayor, Mayor of Warren, Ohio. And as mentioned before, our moderator has been Taylor Haggerty, reporter for IdeaStream Public Media. Today's forum is the final of three forums, part of our Changing Climate series, sponsored by the Cleveland Foundation and the George Gund Foundation. It is also part of our Sustainable Northeast Ohio series, sponsored by Bank of America. We are grateful for all of your support. Community partners for today's forum are the Black Environmental Leaders, the Ohio Climate Justice Fund, and Power a Clean Future Ohio. We appreciate your partnership. All of City Club's forums are present, virtual forums are presented for free thanks to generous support from Bank of America, PNC, and the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District. You can join them in supporting City Club's mission by making a contribution online, becoming a member, or texting the word donate to 216 616 CLUB. That's 216 616 2582. And follow a few easy steps to make your contribution today. Make sure to join us in person at the City Club this Friday, October 22nd. We will be talking about an important issue on the upcoming ballot, Issue 24. It's a charter amendment that would bring significant changes to police accountability in the city. This very issue drew some of the starkest distinctions between mayoral candidates Justin Bibb and Kevin Kelly. So we've got a special flash sale underway for this Friday forum. Check it out at cityclub.org and get your tickets today. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you to our moderator, Taylor Haggerty, and to our esteemed panelists. And thank you, members and friends of the City Club. I'm Cynthia Connolly, and our forum is now adjourned.